How is everybody doing this morning? Great. There's one great down here. How is everyone else doing? Okay, good. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. My name is Cam Broad. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Central Heights. And I'm really glad to be able to be with us uh, here this morning. And and with those of you who are watching in Nickel Hall and uh, maybe those who are listening online. Um, We've been going through this kingdom story, this story from uh, Genesis to Revelation about God's story from beginning to end and how it all fits together beautifully. And I'm excited this morning to talk about a part of the story uh, where the main character comes in. Now, in every story, there's lots of characters, and, and, uh, but each story generally has a main character in the story. And today we're going to look at that, and I'm excited about that. Now, um, if, if, you haven't, uh, if you've missed some of the, the first uh, sessions in this series, this is, I think, week six in our series on the kingdom, and I'm just going to run through a, a few different uh, recaps of the story up to this point. And so we're going to do that quickly before we jump in. So in the beginning of the story, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was, it was paradise in the garden. And God said, this is Good. He said it's good. And then he made man and woman in the garden. He said, this is very good. You see, he had a perfectly right relationship with God. He walked and talked with them in the garden. He he gave them a role of having dominion over creation and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Life for Adam and Eve was amazing. It It was abundant. It was satisfying. It was fulfilling. They were experiencing life like God designed it to be lived. But tragically, life as they knew it was drastically changed. You see, there's only one thing that God instructed them not to do in the garden, and that was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, And if they did, they would surely die. But as we know, the serpent in the garden, the devil, lied to Eve and says, you know what, you're not going to die. In fact, if you eat of that tree, you're going to become like God. Adam and Eve had a choice to believe God and obey him or to believe the devil and do what he says. Well, they chose to to believe the devil and they chose to, to rebel against God. And at that moment, they died spiritually. They were spiritually separated from God. And every person born into the world since that time is born physically alive but spiritually dead. Spiritually separated from God. Well, God pursued them and, and uh, came after them and, and talked with them. And he, he had to mete out the consequences for their sin. And one of them was which they had to leave from the garden. He also uh, met out punishment for the enemy, uh, for the, the serpent. And he said, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the offspring of Eve is going to crush your head. And it was a foreshadowing uh, of Christ's coming and doing that uh, at the cross. And Adam and Eve continued to live outside the garden and they began to be fruitful and multiply. And the story moves along. God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises that he will bless them and and he'd have many descendants. He'd bless those descendants as well. And in fact, all the earth will be blessed because of him. Sorry, all the earth will be blessed through Abraham and through his descendants. His descendants become God's people, the children of Israel, but they are enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And God raises up a rescuer. He raises up Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. God gives them the law to help them live under God's rule so that they will be able to experience his blessing 
when they do what's right. But they doubt God and they wander around in failure in the desert for 40 years. So God appoints Joshua to bring them out of the desert into the land of promise. He appoints his judges and kings to lead his people and the tabernacle is is built and later on the temple which is uh, symbolic of the presence of God. He raises up kings. David becomes king of Israel and, and under David's rule, Israel experiences the most peace and prosperity in its history. But, and, and God establishes a covenant with David saying, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. But soon after David and Solomon, uh, there's other kings that come to power and live wickedly before God and the kingdom is divided and people are taken into exile. God brings prophets along to warn them to return to him. Uh, they give hope and a future for what God is going to do. But that, but that is in the future and not the present. And as the story comes along to the end of the Old Testament, they're still waiting for the promises that God promised Abraham of the blessing. And then there's 400 years of silence. At the end of the Old Testament, God stops speaking. It reminds us of those previous 400 years in Egypt where the people were in, in, in slavery and they were crying out to God and God raised up a rescuer for them. And now he's about to bring a new rescuer, a new deliverer onto the scene. And so we're going we're gonna to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of the New Testament. And it says here in Matthew 1, 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the NIV uses the term Jesus as the Messiah, the ESV uses Jesus as the Christ. Both of those two words are, are, mean anointed. Messiah is the term for uh, anointed in Hebrew. Christ is the uh, term for Messiah in the Greek language. Both of them mean anointed. And so what's this saying? The New Testament starts off, very first verse, by saying Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the Son of God, right at the beginning of that, he establishes who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to read through all of this genealogy of Jesus, but I, want to, uh, but I wanted to point out that it gives evidence that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenants that God made with Abraham and with David as Jesus comes from their lineage, just like God promised. God is good, and he's faithful to keep his promises. We're going to move down. We're going to move fairly quickly through some of these things today. So bear with me here. So um, Matthew 1.18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. So for the Jews, the Holy Spirit, they connected the Holy Spirit to creation. As the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and over the, the deep, he brought chaos and life out of that. They also saw the Holy Spirit as the recreator of life as they understood that he was the one that brought the dry bones back to life in the book of Ezekiel. Now Jesus comes, conceived by the Holy Spirit, who brings life. Reading on in verses 21 to 23 of Matthew 1, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because 
he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with, it, God with us. So two different names for, for Jesus here. One is he's the Savior. He's coming to save us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Also Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is coming to fulfill that prophecy of in Isaiah 14 that, he, that we just read, uh, that he's coming to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when, when I thought about this, of, of God with us and Jesus coming to be God with us in this story, I also realized that he has always been with his people. Jesus was there at creation. He was there in the garden. He was with Adam and Eve, with Abraham, with the children of Israel with the prophets, with the kings, with the priests. But now he is coming up close to be with us as a human being. The king arrives on the scene to be our savior and to be with us. Isn't that good news? Jesus tells us in John 10.10, 10, 10, part of the reason what it, uh, or what it looks like to be our savior. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. As I mentioned every, earlier, every person born into this world since Adam has born spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. In reality, we were all born into the thief's or into Satan's domain, and his purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. But, I love the second part of this verse in John 10, 10 it says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I have come that you might have life that's why Jesus came, is to, to bring us life. First Corinthians, uh, sorry, in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You notice he rescues us from something and into something else. He didn't come to just save us from sin and from death and from hell. That's great, but that's, that's only part of what he came to do. He also came to save us into something, into his kingdom and a loving, right relationship with himself. I remember when I first heard this concept, I was in Bible school and I was taking a class and the prof talked about the fact that, that we aren't just saved from something, we're saved to someone and to something in Jesus. Some of you... Uh, may know that one of the things that has been part of my life, my journey in life, is, is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And for me, it manifests itself in negative, disturbing, unwanted thoughts that get stuck in my head and go around and around and around in thought loops. It was part of the reason I was taking this class in the first place at Bible school, because I was, I was frustrated. I was dealing with this, this, this struggle that I was in. I was more focused on this battle, feeling guilty and ashamed. And as I thought about my relationship with Jesus, I could picture myself following Jesus, but I was way back from where Jesus was. And because of what I was going through, I was, I was uh, feeling like a failure. I was expecting disappointment and even rejection from Jesus. So for me to think about salvation being not just saved from sin, but to Jesus, uh, whom I felt was disappointed in me, that was almost scary to think I'm saved to someone like that. But the problem was I needed a better understanding of who, I, who and what I was saved into. I needed to know better the truth about what God was really like. 
how incredibly much he loved me, how he understood what I was going through, that he cared, and that he invited me to come to him. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 was a great encouragement to me at that time. And it says this, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the, in the midst of our, our times where we're feeling like, man, God, do you see what I'm going through? I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't feel like I'm worthy. And God says, I've, I've dealt with your sin. Come to me. I want to give you grace and mercy. Come, come running to me. I've saved you unto myself. I needed a better understanding of the fact that, that God had given me a new identity in Christ as, as his dearly loved child. That he loved and accepted me unconditionally. That I had a new righteous nature. That the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers me and lives through me to live this life. That he calls me to confidently approach his throne of grace in my time of need. In fact, that we can come and crawl up on his lap and rest in his strength and security. Yes, we are saved from something, but we are also saved to a living, amazing, loving Savior and to his kingdom. He came to give us life. He came to restore the spiritual life that, that he originally designed us to enjoy in the garden. A life characterized by his love, by his peace, by his joy, by his freedom, by his presence, even in the most difficult circumstances that we face. Jesus arrives on the scene and he starts to reverse the effects of sin in the lives of people, both in what he says and in what he does. We're going to move along in his story in the book of Matthew. Uh, at the end of chapter 3, he is baptized. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes and descends on him and rests upon him. And uh, he hear, hears an audible voice from heaven saying, from God saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's important to note here the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. When the Holy Spirit rested upon him, it speaks of him coming to empower Jesus for his ministry. And if we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1, what, is, what is, happens next? So it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does this story remind you of any of the stories in the previous chapters that we've talked about? It reminds me of two. <clears throat> First, it reminds me about Adam and Eve in the garden, who also had an opportunity to obey God and resist the devil. They failed. But three times here, Jesus uh, resists the devil, uh, obeys God, doesn't give in to sin. And he succeeds where Adam and Eve fail. I also think about God's chosen people, the Israelites. They were also in the desert. Jesus is here 40 days. They were there 40 years in the desert. But they doubted God. They failed. They stumbled around for 40 years. But again, as we see Jesus' time in the desert, he succeeded where Israel failed. 
We move down to verse 17 and it says there that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. His message was one of repentance and repentance means to turn and go the opposite way. If you're headed one way, repentance means, okay, I'm changing from that way and I'm gonna go this way. It also means a change of thinking. I'm thinking the truth is over here, but it's really a lie. Then I need to change how I think to the truth of what God says. Why do we need to turn our way? Because the king has arrived on the scene. God's kingdom is breaking in. He says it's right in front of you. And in order to access the kingdom of heaven, you need to turn from your sin and self-sufficiency to the king and surrendering, surrendering to his rule, his lordship in your life. A little farther down, verse 23 and 24, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those uh, suffering, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed to meet him. Jesus was a people magnet. Like wherever he, he taught and wherever he, he ministered, people flocked to him. It was so amazing for people that, that, that came to him, people that were suffering from diseases, healed. People that were, were dealing with severe pain, pain was gone when Jesus ministered to them. People that were demon-possessed, set free. Those who were having seizures, their bodies could relax. No more seizures. People with paralysis that may have never walked or couldn't use their limbs, getting up, jumping up and down, shouting. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I would have loved to have been there to see what was happening, the, the expressions on people's faces, the excitement. And when this news spread with all the stories, videos, pictures that were posted on the, on the, online, the internet broke. Okay, though they didn't have that at that time. But what they did is they went from person to person, like this wide area of people. Can you imagine what people would have said? Hey, you know what? I couldn't walk going home to telling their friends that. And, and the excitement for that friend going, wow, I'm dealing with a similar issue. Can Jesus help me too? Like Jesus had an amazing ministry with people. And all who heard, heard it were drawn to him and to see the radical change. And they thought, man, if Jesus can do this for someone else, he can do it for me. And people flocked to him. I want to just jump over to this, the same timeline as Luke records it, kind of the same time in Jesus' story. Luke records it over in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up on the Sabbath day. He went to the synagogue, as was his custom. <clears throat> he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the prisoner free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were just fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, the kingdom has come. 
I am the one that was talked about in the Old Testament. I am the one that, that Isaiah is talking about here. I'm the anointed one. I am the Messiah. And here's what I've come to do. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. God's, God's news is good news to us. He's come to give freedom for the pr- uh, prisoners. Sin and, and its effects on us bring us into bondage. But Jesus says, I'm come to set you free. I've come to give res- uh, sight to the blind. This speaks of our spiritual sight to be able to, to understand who God is and to have in our life. But it also speaks of physical healing. And, and we just heard about many of the, the ways that Jesus healed people physically. He said, I'm come to set the oppressed free, those who are, are bruised and broken and oppressed and brokenhearted. I've come to bring healing and comfort and set them free. And I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is that? Um, David Guzik, in his Enduring Word commentary, says the year of Jubilee uh, is from Leviticus 25, 9 to 15 and following. And in the year of Jubilee, slaves were set free, debts were canceled, and things were set to a new start. Jesus has come to bring life, to reverse the effects of our sin from the past. He wants to exchange bondage for freedom, blindness for sight, sickness for health, guilt for forgiveness, fear for peace, despair for joy, and so much more. Is that not good news? Let me try that again. Is that not good news? Are you with me? Like this is who God is. This is what he came to do. And it's good news for us, not just in a story back in the day. It's good news for us here in in 2018. As we move into Matthew 5, we switch gears a bit. And we come to the Sermon on the Mount, which makes up the core teaching of Jesus. And how, uh, how to be blessed in the kingdom of God under his rule. And in Matthew chapter 5, um, we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm not going to go through all of them, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek who hear, inherit the earth. Blessed, 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 blessed. This is how you're going to be blessed in the kingdom. And here's the results. You're going to be filled. You're going to be shown mercy. You're going to see God. You're going to be called the children of God. Blessed, blessed, blessed. This is part of the core teaching of what Jesus taught. It reminds us back to the covenant in, in, uh, that God made with Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 to 3. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. These are the B attitudes and the characteristics of God's kingdom and God's people. And as we depend on the Holy Spirit to live these through us, we ourselves are blessed. And we are a blessing to the people around us. So Jesus is fulfilling that part of the covenant of blessings in what he's teaching and what he's doing. Then after the Beatitudes, he shows us that we are salt and light in this world. And that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law that we couldn't. In fact, Jesus goes a step further from the letter of the law to the heart of the law. The rest of chapter 5 deals with how we relate to others. And when it comes to our relationship with others, he speaks to six different relational issues. Murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, and our enemies. And six times he starts by saying, you've heard that have been said. And he quotes a part of the law. 
immediately followed by saying, but I say unto you, do it this way. He speaks to the heart of the matter in each one of these laws and he goes beyond the act, uh, uh, the mere act of following the law outwardly and teaching us how to live with a pure heart inwardly. In Matthew 6, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he does so by teaching uh, them the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to go through all of that, but there is a part he talks about the kingdom in there. And I want to look at the part where Jesus uh, calls them to pray for the kingdom. He says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching them that we're to pray that his kingdom would come. That his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven, there's no chaos. There's no bondage. There's no sin. There's no fear, sickness, rebellion. But in heaven, there's peace. There's health. There's life. There's freedom. There's love. There's wholeness. And Jesus is calling us to pray that the characteristics of heaven would be manifest here on earth. We sang that song a few minutes ago uh, that where uh, heaven touches earth, spirit break out. In his book, When Heaven Invades Earth, Bill Johnson says this about the will of God. The will of God is seen in the ruling presence of God for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is demonstrating the lordship of Jesus, liberty is the result. Yet another way to see it is that when the king of kings manifests his dominion, The fruit of that dominion is liberty. This is the realm called the kingdom of God. God, in response to our cries, brings his world into ours. I love that. God, in response to our cries, brings his world into ours. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Jesus came not just talking about the kingdom of God, but powerfully demonstrating the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit as he brought the realities of heaven to earth by what he did in people's lives. And he called the disciples to pray for the same, that his kingdom would come, that his kingdom would be manifested here on earth in our lives like it is in heaven. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to make the worship team to come back. But one more thing that Jesus says about the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 6. After the Lord's Prayer, he's talking about money and about treasure and serving two masters. And, And then he goes on to talk about worrying about food and about clothing and about shelter. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things because your father already knows that you needed them. But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first my kingdom, and all these things will be added as well. When we think about that kingdom, uh, this morning I asked myself, whose kingdom am I seeking first? I ask, you, ask all of us, whose kingdom are you seeking first? I want to remind you that this kingdom that God calls us to seek first is, a, is that the king of this kingdom has come to give us life and life to the full. Remember that he came to set us free, to restore our sight, to bring healing, to bring us into a loving relationship with him as his dearly loved sons and daughters. Remember that he not only uh, saves us from the domain of darkness and from the thief, but he saves us to a loving God 
and into a powerful kingdom of God. Remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament and that he is a faithful God who keeps his promises. Remember that God wants to work in his kingdom and in and through us so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The king has come to bring life. He's our savior. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And he's here right now. Let's seek his, first his kingdom so that his will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this story. We thank you, God, that, that Jesus came to give us life. And God, life to the full. I thank you, God, that you rescued us from the domain of darkness, that you bring us into the kingdom of your dearly beloved son. And I, I thank you, God, that you didn't come just talking about your love or talking about your kingdom or talking about uh, what you want to do in our lives to set us free, but Lord, you did it. You came and you, you brought your kingdom to earth and it manifested in the lives of the people in, in this story and they were radically changed. And God, I believe that wasn't just for the story then, I believe it's for the story today for us here at Central Heights this morning. And so, God, I pray that you would work this morning. I pray that you would touch each person's life that's here this morning right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to continue to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.